0: Well, good morning. As you can see, we are outside this morning under the tent. If you are listening online, I'd like to suggest that you uh, step outside and listen to this podcast so you can experience it the same way we all are this morning out here in the heat, uh, in the fresh air. Beautiful Sunday morning here. Sun's shining. Cool breeze. And um, I was thinking about what I was going to speak on this morning and thinking about the fact that we will be sat out under this tent. And I've got to be honest, it took me back to um, some American history of the church Uh, many years ago would have tent crusades and tent revivals. And I even toyed with the idea of putting a big sign up outside, tent revival. But, um, you know, they're a big part of the church's history here in the United States Um, Back in the 1950s and the 1960s, a great man by the name of Billy Graham, his career was launched in a tent just like this. Well, actually, I'm, I'm pretty sure his tent was a lot bigger than this one, but he did. He started out in a tent in California and grew into speaking in auditoriums and stadiums around the world. But from the beginning, his tent meetings, they were marked not just by speaking the gospel, and he did a great job of that, but they were also marked by the singing of gospel songs. And he had two great guys uh, who were very famous for being a part of his, um, his team, two men by the name of George Beverly Shea and Cliff Barrows. Maybe you've uh, not heard of them, but I'm sure your parents will have heard of them. And these great men, they would stand on the stage with Billy Graham and they would sing these wonderful songs. And I know this because I was kind of researching this. And and in my research, I came across this video, and it was from the 2011. um, They did this big anniversary tent revival in North Carolina in Billy Graham's hometown to celebrate those crusades that he started off doing 50, 60 years ago. And it was fascinating watching this because it was just three or four years ago, but you saw all these these famous old-time gospel singers, and they were stood there. There was a lot of gray hair. There was a lot of big hair on this video, and they were singing some really great classic songs. But I thought, man, what an amazing experience to have stood outdoors like that in those tents and sing those songs, to sing about God, to sing about what God has done in our lives. So I say all that to lead up to this moment we're going to have now, because I'm going to invite the band, if they would, to come forward. And... uh if you're visiting here this morning, you know, on a regular basis, we take time during our service to sing. And uh, the reason we sing is because the words of these songs come from our heart. They really express just how great we think God is and the difference He's made in our lives. Now, we're going to stretch you guys this week because normally we have a really nice big screen with the words on, and we don't have the words this week. So you're going to have to just kind of move your lips and uh, <laughs> make out that you know the words. I'm sure Justin, being the great leader he is, will kind of give us a little bit of a help here and give us an idea of the lines that are coming. But how great to to stand this morning and to sing like this and tell God how much we love him um, out in the open in a tent. So would you stand with me this morning? We're going to take a moment here to sing and I will turn over to Justin. So here we are. In the tent. And like I said, you know, maybe when you think of tents, you know, I was last week when Dan was giving the announcements, I was thinking maybe I should have him say, hey, next Sunday we're not going to be inside, we're going to have a good old fashioned tent revival. And uh, I was like, well, but what do people think of when you say that? Maybe that would scare people away. Maybe the, the idea of a tent revival, what's that? Because I don't know about you, but when I think of that, um, I think of somebody like the Reverend Jonas Nightingale. Uh, you guys may not remember who that is, but he is a character that Steve Martin played in a movie called Leap of Faith, and uh, I was going to kind of do some of those moves this morning up here on the stage, and uh, but they're just not in me, so... Um, <laughs> But you know, if you haven't seen that movie, Leap of Faith, it was about Steve Martin played this kind of sleazy snake oil salesman, salesman kind of guy who uh, who would put on these tent meetings, um, traveling around the United States, and he would use smoke and mirrors and trickery, you know, with earpieces and listening to hidden cues and and really just um, kind of fake the presence of God, just fake this. And then one day in this movie, one day a, a, a young boy comes forward on crutches, and he's actually miraculously healed, and it throws this guy completely because. He doesn't expect God to actually answer his prayers. So quite an interesting movie. But um, the idea of the movie is based on the fact that maybe some of you are aware of that. You know, that idea of those tent revivals, those those evangelists who traveled around and they were, um, you know, putting on this great elaborate presentation. But I got thinking about that and I got thinking about the idea of tent revival. And as I was studying to, to, to share this week, I started to ask, you know, what is a revival? What does it mean? We've heard it before, and maybe we've seen pictures of a tent like this with a sign on the side that says tent revival, but what does that even mean? What is a revival? Well, I think lots of different people might have different answers to that question, but essentially, I think when I think of the word revival, I think what it is, it's the idea that a community or an area is changed as a result of God moving in that place. So when I think of revival, I think of an area or a community being changed by the presence of God by God moving supernaturally in that area. You know, historically, there have been some revivals over the years that that you can read about. Where I come from in Great Britain in the early 1900s in a small country called Wales, which is kind of just next door to England, okay? Back in the early 1900s, they had a very famous, it was called the Welsh Revival. And during that time, it actually only lasted less than a year, but during that time, over 100,000 people were converted. Over 100,000 people made a decision to ask Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. And historians look back and call that a revival because it was just remarkable at how fast and how quickly it spread around that small country and how much that country was changed by the power of God. That was a revival. And there have been others that have occurred in different countries at different times. But when it comes to revival, I think I like the definition best that I found this week when I was studying this. And it's from a man by the name of Gypsy Smith. You may not have heard of this man, Gypsy Smith. He was a famous evangelist uh, living in the 1900s. He was actually an Englishman. Um, He never received a formal education, and yet he found himself lecturing at Harvard. He grew up in a gypsy camp. He was a traveler just outside of London And yet he was invited to the White House by two different presidents to be met by them. Gypsy Smith, it said, was powerfully used by God to preach to millions as he crisscrossed the Atlantic Ocean 45 times. And everywhere he went, it seemed like revival was on his heels. Very often, this guy Gypsy Smith was asked by other ministers in the time saying, what's the secret? We want to see revival happening like you. It just seems that everywhere you go, like cities and and areas are changed. You know, you just seem to be, what's the secret? What's the key to seeing this revival take place? And in a very famous conversation, Gypsy Smith, he met with some ministers and he sat with them. He said, listen, you want to know what a revival looks like? You want to know how to see a revival take place? You want to see lives of hundreds of people changed? Let me tell you how it takes place. You get away quietly by yourself and you you draw a circle around yourself with a piece of chalk. And then you pray a very simple prayer. God, bring revival inside this circle. Because God, if you'll revive what's inside this circle, it'll change everything outside of the circle. And I love that idea that the prayer was, God, if you'll change something in me, that will impact. And these guys, they were praying for something external. And this guy said, listen, it's not about praying for external things to happen. It's praying for something internal to happen in you. And when that happens, when that change takes place, that will affect the world in which you live. I love that thought because it it tells me that the key to Jesus changing the world in which we live, the key to Jesus making an impact in the city of Washington and the surrounding areas, it begins with him changing who we are. And as he changes who we are, it'll change our family, our friends, our neighbors, our community. But you know what? That's a scary thought as well, isn't it? Because, Because what that kind of says is the key to Jesus changing our community It depends on whether we are willing to be changed, whether we are willing to pray that prayer. God, come and change me. God, come and make a difference in my life. And that's tough because really what that says is is it, it leads us to ask ourselves this question. How bad do we want that? How much do we want to see God change our lives so that lives outside of ours will be changed? How bad do we want it? You know, I I found myself answering that question personally yesterday. Yesterday morning, I actually took part in uh, the Tremont Triathlon which is uh, nearby here, over in Tremont. And talk about asking how bad you want something. I was asking that question of myself a lot <laughs> yesterday. I competed in the Tremont Triathlon. If you don't know what that is, it involves swimming and run, and riding your bike and running, all of which I can do individually. But yesterday, I actually tried to do all three back-to-back. And I'm pleased to announce that I, uh, I did come in second in uh, the age category that I entered. So that's a pretty good result, yeah. <laughs> Now, I did enter the women's 70 to 74-year-olds, but I came in second, so I was really, <laughs> I was pretty excited about that. There was one 73-year-old woman, and she just no. would not let up. <laughs> so other than her, I was the fastest of all people in that age group. So, uh, <laughs> But here's, here was my key to finishing yesterday because I've I've done some running races before and I've done some other things but this was the first time I did something like that so I knew what my key to finishing was what I did was over the last couple of days I started to tell some people that I was doing this yesterday morning I sent out a tweet and it went onto Facebook and Twitter and it said hey I'm about to do this and part of the reason I do that is because I know that once it's out there all of you this morning will be like so how'd you do how'd you get on So all the time through that race, whether I was running or swimming or riding my bike, I just knew, even if I wanted to give up, that there would be dozens of you this morning who would be asking, how'd you get on? And I just didn't want to look at any one of you and say, yeah, I choked. (laughs) I gave up. (laughs) Halfway through, I just threw my bike into the ditch, and I I thumbed a ride home. (laughs) Because believe me, those thoughts were going through my mind on a regular basis. So especially that last part of the run, I mean, that was hard work. But I knew that I told enough people that now I was going to be held accountable. And that's good. I think we should do that in all of our lives. Sometimes I think God challenges us on things in our own lives, and and we think, yeah, I want to do that. But if it just stays in here, the likelihood or the odds of that happening are slim. But once we tell someone, they'll be saying, hey, how'd you get on? I know you said you wanted to pray a little bit more each week. How's that going? I know you said you wanted to kind of start the day off each morning by reading your Bible. How's that going? You told me that you were thinking about that. How's that going? And it kind of holds us accountable. So I was doing a lot of praying yesterday. <laughs> I was praying for all sorts of things as I was out there riding, and as I was running to finish off, I was praying mainly that God would keep me alive for the uh, the remainder of the race, and and He did. But it is amazing because as I was praying during those last couple of miles, the final stage, I was kind of talking to God, and I was thinking about the determination that I was having to muster up to finish this race. Cause the truth is, I'd love to say that I'm one of those athletes, you meet them all the time. There's one sat right here this morning, she's amazing. And they get that runner's high, they're like, did you get to that point where you just loved it? And I'm like, no, I've never ever got to that point. I always run going, this is miserable. I hate this. And some of you are wonderful. You're out there running, you're like, this is the best feeling in the world. And I'm like, this is the worst feeling in the world. So I'm thinking, God, you've got to help me. I've got to be be determined. I've got to work hard to finish this race. And and as I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking about verses in the Bible, in in particular in the New Testament. A man by the name of Paul, he, he used to talk about athletes a lot. He would write to individuals, and he would write to churches, and very often, he would talk about athletes and races, and these verses were going through my mind yesterday. Here's a few of them I want to read this morning. One, he wrote to a church in Philippi. It's called The Letter to the Philippians. It's in chapter 3, verse 14. Paul said, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Jesus Christ, is calling us. In another one, he wrote to a, a young man that he was mentoring by the name of Timothy. In 2 Timothy 4.7, he says, I fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I've remained faithful. He talks about finishing a race. He's not talking about a physical race here. He's talking about the race being the, the following Jesus, serving Jesus in his life. And then my favorite one, I think, which I could really relate to yesterday, can be found when he writes to this church in Corinth in the letter 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. He says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it, talking about his life of following Jesus, we do it for an eternal prize. I know that this prize that I could win in a race will one day fade away. One day, following Jesus, there is a prize involved. It'll be me standing before God and him saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Spending eternity in the presence of God. Because I, I stuck in there. I, I, I hung in there. I ran the race and I finished it. He says, so I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself would be disqualified. Paul knew that the people in Corinth would understand this. They were familiar with the Greek Olympics. They were familiar with athletic events. And he knew that they would understand what he meant when he said, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. He knew that they could apply that to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Because you see, Paul had one great goal in his life, and that was to glorify God by winning the lost, winning people that didn't yet know Jesus, and building up the saints. He would write to these, these, these believers and try and encourage them in their faith. To reach this goal, he was willing to pay any price. So Paul is telling the church in Corinth, and he's, he's telling us as well, that to be a follower of Christ, to look for that, that personal revival inside that circle, that it's not going to come easy. It's going to be tough at times. And that's what I was thinking about as I was running yesterday. I was, I was just kind of praying and running, thinking, man, this is hard work. And yet, What I'm experiencing right now is what Paul was writing about when he was writing to other believers. I think he was trying to say, hey, listen, I'd love to tell you that if you become a follower of Jesus, it'll be the best life you've ever led. Now, the reality is the destination will be the greatest destination you can ever arrive at. Following Jesus will change your life, will change your eternity. But it doesn't mean it's easy. Sometimes it's hard work. Sometimes you have to discipline yourself. Sometimes uh, the crowd will be going this way, but because of your faith, because of what you believe about Jesus, you find yourself going this way. And as I was running, it was hard work. I was thinking, God, you know, Paul was talking about this, and and I want to look at my life as a believer. I want to look at my life as a follower of Jesus and see that at times, you know, there's discipline involved, That it's not always going to be easy. I'm going to have to work at this. And I thought about us here at Connect Church, and I thought, you know what, God, that's what I love about Connect Church. That's what I love about this particular church. And when I say Connect Church, I'm talking about all of you. You make up Connect Church. Because I thought about it, I thought, you know what, the reality is, there's probably some easier churches you could go to. There are probably some churches this morning that have their own building, that never have to figure out what to do when the gym floor is being waxed. They have to sit out in a tent and yet here you are. And I gotta be honest, after we announced last week that we were gonna be in the tent, I was expecting it to be me, the guys in the band, and the few of you that didn't hear the announcement last week and arrived here and were like, oh, well, I'm here now. But I'm seeing some of you that heard the announcement and you're still here. You're awesome. Thank you so much for coming. And it's brilliant because I, we knew coming this morning it was gonna be a little bit uncomfortable. It was gonna be a little bit warm. Let's be honest, the watermelon, the water, it probably bought me five or 10 minutes, but right now it's starting to get a little bit warm little bit sticky. But here you are. Because to you, following Jesus means being a part of a local church where I can learn more about God. And and if it was going to be easy... I would have chosen an easier path. I don't mind. Some came early to set this up this morning. Some are working right now with our kids. Some of you outside of Sundays are involved once or twice a month in the middle of a week with a small group. Because to you, you didn't want to choose the easy path. You decided that this, this relationship I have with Jesus, it takes some work. But it's worth the work because the work I put into it is how I grow. It's how I become stronger. It's how I get to know Jesus more. And the reality is, like that Gypsy Smith said, if we want to see revival take place in that community, if we want to see our community changed by Connect Church and the other wonderful churches in this community, then it's not necessarily about us praying that that happens, although that's a great prayer to pray. For some of us, it's not praying for the outside of the circle. It's praying for the inside of the circle. It's saying, God, would you change what's inside this circle So that what's inside this circle can be used by you to change what's outside of the circle. And sometimes that's tough. Sometimes that's difficult. But I discovered yesterday in a very physical sense that if that's what Paul was talking about, as I was running, my legs were hurting. They were aching. It was hot. It was these long, straight Tremont roads. Stinking Tremont. And uh, (laughs) as I'm coming around the corner and I can see the end in sight, I'm realizing, you know what? This was worth it. It's actually really cool. So my, my wife and kids came out. So as I came around the corner for the last part to cross the finish line, all three of my kids were there, and they ran out onto the streets, and they ran with me. And, and Emma's like totally outrunning me. Like she's six, and she's zipping along. I'm like trying everything I've got just to keep up with my six-year-old. But uh, it was just a really cool moment to cross that finish line. But through that last part of the race, as I was thinking about some of these, these words that Paul wrote, I said, God, I know that at times it's much more preferable to choose the easy option whether it be in life, but, but sometimes even in our relationship with you. But Paul wrote time and time again that, that following Jesus, it can be hard at times. It takes discipline and work, and, but the outcome is worth it. The difference we make in the world, the difference that God makes in our lives. So I'm going to ask the band if they would come up this morning. We're going to close out uh, with one more song. Uh, so as they make their way up to the front, I just want you to think about, as we close out with this last song this morning, we're stood here in a tent. And maybe some of you have seen pictures of tent revivals or tent crusades. And, and right now you can remember that the reason those people did that is because they wanted to take the church from outside, inside out. They wanted to take the message of Jesus from inside the building and take it out. And we have that opportunity this week as Connect Church to do that. That's one of the great things about being a portable church. We'll never get too tied to our building because right now our building fits in the back of this trailer every Sunday morning. <laughs> and it's gone, and it's parked somewhere, and then we come, and right now, we unload it in this middle school, and sometimes we unload it in a tent, and who knows what the future is, but for us, the church is not the building. It's us taking that message, that revival message, and sharing it with everyone that we come in contact with. So would you stand with me? We're going to sing one last song together.